Greetings, you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com, and you can go to GetOnSIP.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.me on the web, is hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Welcome to VUC number 598 for the 17th of June. No particular topics, just news of the day. But before we get into that, I should like to say a word about Astracon, the Asterisk Users Conference and Expo coming up September 27th through 29th at the Renaissance Glendale in Glendale, Arizona. A good many of the people you might hear on this call today will be there, as well as other luminaries from the open source telephony world. So, Astracon. And with that, I give you Randy Resnick. Hey, everybody. Okay, so... Um and I'm still seeing that. Anyway, we'll pretend that we don't. Uh, quick rant to begin. We have a lot of great people with us, so I'm not going to take a long time. But I just wanted to mention one thing, which is that uh, over the last couple of days, I had an on-the-air, over-the-air update of my uh, OnePlus One phone. And OnePlus One phone uses Cyanogen as its operating system. And you know that Microsoft either has a deal with or bought part of or something Cyanogen. Anyway... Well, what happened there was uh, the first time I needed an address out of my contact book, I got a big pop-up interfering with that action saying, uh, would you mind if Skype uh, looks at all your contacts? Well, this wouldn't have been surprising except that I have never installed Skype on that phone and have no use for it. So that was extremely annoying and it happened a couple of times before I found the box to check saying don't do this anymore. I went about my business, uninstalled Skype later in the day, needed another contact, wanted to call somebody, clicked, and it said, would you mind if Skype plug-in does the yada yada? And I finally went about my business, got rid of that, uninstalled the Skype plug-in, and found out that uh, this Microsoft mod on Cyanogen mod had also uh, installed OneNote, which I have never used and probably have no use for, and maybe some other things uh, one of the things was this hyper whatever that does something with your images, which I've left on because it may potentially be useful. But I just wanted to say, if you're running a company, and this is one of the reasons I left LinkedIn, LinkedIn and we'll move on to that in a second. But if you're running a company and you invade people's space in that way, that'd be like somebody bursting into your living room, as far as I'm concerned. I really hate that idea, and it really irritated me. And uh, as a result... I, uh, just in protest, left LinkedIn because LinkedIn is, has no benefit to me either. Who wants to talk about LinkedIn? Raise your hand or just take it away. I see James. James first and then Dave. Mm. We have Dave Todd with us too. James? I'll start uh, pausing from eating jelly sweets. That's for a second. <laughs> well, I actually use LinkedIn on a daily basis. I find it incredibly useful. They aren't muted. Am, am I? No, I hear him. Uh, I hear him. Uh, I'm not muted. No, no, no we hear not you. Muted. Um, yeah, I use it on a daily basis, but I am really worried about what Microsoft might do. I'm not LinkedIn hearing Mr. Bodie. Because they, uh, oh, here's Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Well, Matthew. He can hear me. I am hearing him. Uh... Um, Hello, James. 
because um, uh, look what Microsoft did to Skype. Skype was really very clever, um, peer-to-peer based um, commu- real-time communication system, and now it isn't. Uh, it used to be reasonably secure. Now uh, it's totally plugged into NSA, GCHQ, and probably the FSB as well, and Mossad. So, uh, so I'm worried. What's going to happen to LinkedIn? Anyway, Dave, your go. Well, three things. They're actually all tied together. Um, the CyanogenMod folk started a, a lovely open source fork of Android, and they tried to be responsive to the needs of their users. LinkedIn was also driven by the same thing. They were responsible to the needs of their users. Um, And in both cases, they got big enough to where um, they got bought, which is okay. You know, it's a long-term reward. But suddenly, the perception of who the user was changed. The users are just like the cattle feed. You know, they're the stuff that you put into the meat grinder in order to actually pay for the cost of the operation. The, the, the benefit is going to the people that want your eyeballs, that want to have control of your conversation rather than the conversation itself. Um, this is why I think what I do love is that the users in both cases are generally not trapped they can usually or almost sometimes manage to escape uh, from being herded into the meat grinder. And so I love that, for example, WhatsApp um, just unveiled uh, signal-like encryption end-to-end. And it's possible that something will replace CyanogenMod. But once you certainly have that many eyeballs and that much of Metcalfe's law to your favor, just buying something for whatever they paid for you're, you're buying the inertia of the user base. And the transition, the transition between serving the user base and then serving your corporate masters, is there some way to have a long-term benefit of, of something stay good for its users without this Skype going, without, without it going to hell? Yeah, race to the bottom. Who else wants to chime in on the LinkedIn thing? Because we're going to do some very quick uh, themes here, and, and that, this is just one of them. Take it away, whoever would like to. I, I think the, I mean, the only thing to add to LinkedIn is is the is when combined with if it is combined with Skype, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to the telcos. Like, if you're somebody who sells significant, still sells significant voice minutes to businesses, then um, then the combination of LinkedIn and and Skype and Microsoft is really bad news for you. And if you make PBXs, it's even worse news. Um, like in the right mind, will, for a medium-sized enterprise, will replace their PBX now. They'll make it. They'll stretch it out for another few years, and then it'll all be link. Um, now, I don't think that's a good thing, but I think it's interesting. Okay, and I've lost your video, Tim. I'm going to move on to Matthew. And we're going to talk. Go ahead. Somebody wanted to say something. Okay. For some reason, I lost your video. I don't see it, and YouTube doesn't see it. More importantly, um, want to bring Matthew in. We were talking also. Uh, Dave wants to talk about this too. So let's talk uh, Open Web Federation and so on. You want to? You would you like to start that discussion off, Matthew? Um, yeah, sure. I'm back in London after being in San Francisco last week uh, for the Decentralized Web Summit, and obviously we joined um, VUC um, from a, a hippie commune in the depths of San Francisco in the Heights um, uh, last week. I mean, I've had a chance to digest that, and it's actually really interesting seeing the enthusiasm and a lot of the world press which came out of um, the conference. Um, I think the media got quite excited about Tim Berners-Lee talking about rebooting the web and trying to break down the silos 
And it's fascinating seeing the slightly um, overambitious vision that we've had in Matrix for going and building um, bridges between all these silos being picked up by the mainstream press, whether it's uh, and the mainstream sort of technorati, whether it's Vint Cerf or Tim Berners Lee or Cory Doctorow or any of these um, um, sort of influential people going and preaching the same talk, where this is now is the time for consumers to take back their conversations and bust out of the silos of WhatsApp and Facebook and Hangouts and instead have the freedom to go and pick um, their own um, conversations in order um, to basically select which communication service they want without being limited in who they talk to. And I guess it's also relevant to the LinkedIn um, acquisition story and that there's obviously a risk that that will become yet another silo, especially when you combine the link and the LinkedIn elements of it together. Um, and it really is critical that the internet, whether it's through Matrix or XMPP or any other protocol, provides an infrastructure to go and link these silos together. So honestly, we've come out of it feeling even more enthusiastic and invigorated um, to make it happen. And um, The Vaxa launch went really well. We've got some thousands of new people using it. And um, really, we almost got a kind of moral uh, responsibility to make sure that we get Matrix out there as this building block that people can use to bust the walls in those silos. We were really pleased to hear that, Matthew. We spoke uh, about it uh, somewhere else. I think it was maybe Wire. And I'll relate a personal story to you later at some point uh, in time um, about a parallel. But let's get Dave in here on that, too, because he was I think he was either there or knows what we're talking about. Go, Dave. I was out there. It was the first conference I've been to in years that was within walking distance. Uh, I live two blocks away from the archive. And that is a wonderful place. It's sort of like the first church of the internet as far as I'm concerned. The seeing the old farts, the original visionaries come up and say, well, we did our best. It's your problem now. How are you going to solve it? It was really fun. And it was seeing the disconnect between the old and the new uh, is but the, first, the thing that really stuck with me is every of the, of the new generation of presenters, they put their Twitter handle on their slides, not their email address. Um, so that the interactive interaction methods have changed so drastically from where we are sitting in front of keyboards. We've been doing this since text-based to where the next generation is, is primary interface is over their phone and typing and much more highly interactive and yet even more brief. And in the, some of the meetings afterwards, um, wow, uh, there's people, there's some, someone seriously suggesting using a micropayment system. I wish I could see Vixie's reaction. It's using a micropayment system attached, using the blockchain attached to every TCP acknowledgement. Um, and, uh, they explained to me that the overhead was only an extra 70 or 80 bytes per packet. And I think I'm either talking to myself. I've lost the uh, strip board. No, and, you're, you're good. Okay. Yep, you're so this, this is in a world where people are developing protocols layered on top of JSON. By the way, I, I saw, I really liked what I saw of Slack and Matrix uh, because that's, you took a lot of standards developed by the IETF that were a bit <clears throat> unwieldy and the JSON interfaces pasting them together and the microserver concept are all really great. Um, and anyway, yes. Um, so I went and presented, hey, guys, you should check out Matrix uh, in the IATF mailing list, and they're defending email. And I'm like, well, you can't defend email to other emailers. You need to go out and say, 
uh, to someone that's using a phone that wants to develop standards that maybe they should talk to the IETF and the IETFers should learn how to talk to you because in the end, and I really felt this, my gray hairs were coming out, it's your internet, man. Um, we did the best we could. Um, so anyone else? I, I brought up the film strip so I could see if Paul was still here and he, but I can't tell if he's bored or not. DNS. They all wanted to replace DNS. Right. And uh, I think Paul would have had some real fun saying, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be muted, Paul. And I can't unmute. unmute. You have to unmute. Top part of the screen. Well, yeah, I have to un you have to unmute. It's up on the top. Hello. Yeah, there's, there we go. There's no there moderator. We go. We're there good. we go. So I myself would like to replace DNS, but um, the replacements that I've heard about so far have a radically different vision of what a universally connected Internet would be. And um, so I haven't found one worth backing yet. Um, I certainly met the folks who want to replace TCP with JSON. And, uh, you know, it's fun to drink about, but it's, um, you know, ultimately uh, packets are getting larger and we could afford just sort of in the overhead that's carried away. We put an awful lot more metadata than we're doing. Um, but as far as, uh, boy, as far as replacing DNS, um, nobody's nobody's got a clue as to what it does now or what it should do. So uh, I, I don't think you guys have got anything to worry about in the short term. So I, I feel like there are several problems that are getting kind of overlaid on each other, and uh, and and it's like trying to. I think that the mistake is to try and say, well, you know, there's one solution that's going to solve. Like it's going to make IoT work, and it's going to make social conversations be be reasonable and it's going to get rid of spam and it's going to decentralize power and like you know and one and it's usually usually at this point somebody mentions blockchain and i scream but i you know there's this thing that there's going to be one solution to all this and, and we know like you know we've, we've all been through this that actually it's a mesh of overlaying solutions that overlap in area, some areas and don't in others that actually ends up working you know there's dns on top of ip on top of you know RIP and BGP and like there's just like these layers of things that do different parts of the solution and you and you and they they matter in different ways um, and I don't so I'm I'm really skeptical about anyone who says oh yeah we can just solve it all with this one change that's that's not what we're doing we need to do some more evolution around places that's my my gut instinct um, and the other thing is that it feels like there are actually quite a lot of solutions out there that we're not really like capitalizing on so like things things that actually work quite nicely that aren't being used i have a special fondness for things like dtls and sctp and things like that which are like they're out there they have very nice interesting properties but mm, kind of you know they're not high enough up the stack for people to use them somehow that's my rant you wanted a rant randy and you got one i did well, the, the, the advantage of the DHT approach is really quite impressive. Um, it is, however, all right, go ahead, Paul. Um, let's wait for the DHCT idea of, of massive distribution of service discovery in particular um, seems pretty reasonable, but they are so not. Let me, go let ahead, me break Paul. in here just briefly. So I want to explain something about SCTP and DTLS. Uh, of which I am fans. Uh, I am a fan of both. Um, 
So to make any change at all to TCP or UDP, uh, even to allocate a new TCP option number or to move something from, uh, you know, to change the ordering of typical TCP option numbers, it is now necessary for the protocol developer to test middle boxes. Uh, you have to make sure, for example, that the Apple airport isn't snooping the headers the way they used to be and is going to get confused by the headers as you would like them to be. And it doesn't matter whether it complies with the RFC. What matters is whether what you plan to do is compatible with the installed base. So there is a first mover advantage, which has been uptaken by the most mediocre of swill that you can imagine that was developed by people who didn't read anything, didn't test anything, but it worked in their lab, so they shipped it, and now it's in millions of places around the globe. What we discovered by adding uh, EDNS to the domain name system is that um, in 1999, so that's uh, going on 17 years ago, and we have just crossed the 50th percentile in terms of likelihood of success of a, an EDNS packet because the middle boxes. Um, so really, um, I'd love to come up with different solutions. I'd love to sort of envision the network that we'd all like to be working with and come up with really solid engineering solutions to the problems that we actually have. But none of that's going to matter. Um, TCP, by using a 32-bit CRC, uh, is guaranteed to give you bit errors after a certain number of gigabytes of, of data. And the way the Internet uh, community has dealt with that is that they now run SHA-1 on the files that they are sync uh, because TCP may not have delivered it successfully. Now, SCTP solves that problem, but no one cares because SCTP will never be deployed because it cannot be deployed because so many people are behind middle boxes that know, absolutely know, uh, what an IP packet has to look like. Um, so if we wanted so, to rant about something, that would be mine. So, so subtle disagreement here. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, but there's a, there's a subtle kind of thing, which is that actually, at this instant, we are both using SCTP. The, the, the data channel that's running over this is SCTP over DTLS. And that's how it's choosing which image to show. Um, it's a tone. It's not a huge amount of volume, but like every Chrome browser and every um, every Firefox browser now has SCTP embedded over, admittedly over DTLS embedded in it. So that behavior is now actually exposed up into JavaScript, and we can start using that stuff. And I'm, this is my you know, this is my rant of the of the decade. So so. Uh, several people have heard this before, but but I, I think it's interesting, and I think we should be capitalizing on it. Um, if I can just jump in to, uh, quickly on the, well, in fact, what we were talking about before, the whole DNS versus DHT um, question. Um, this came up an awful lot in an interoperability working group that we had um, on the first day of the Web Summit, which was actually ended up being about eight people in a room. It was me on the Matrix side, obviously. You had Tim Berners-Lee on the um, Solid project, which is what those guys are working on now, which is um, very similar, actually, to the Matrix, to the extent that there's, you should probably combine at some point. Then you had two guys from IPFS, some blockchain people. And the one thing that everybody agreed on as the single biggest risk to the decentralized web 
was in some ways um, DNS for, for better or worse. And I think it was Tim Berners-Lee who came up with the main point that um, you know, it's a huge obstacle to go and run your own web server, your own web service, if you have to set up DNS for it. I mean, that is just, in terms of empowering users to own their own data, own their own communication, own their own identity on the web, um, the fact that you need to be technically proficient enough to set up an SRV record for your matrix server or your XMPP server or your own hosting or whatever is a disaster. So there was a lot of discussion of using DHTs as an alternative to DNS, specifically using libp2p um, from the IPFS stable, which was kind of fun because it's um, it's not a new protocol. It's just layered on top of whatever is available. And that could be UDP. It could be TCP. It could be SETP in the form of WebRTC data channels, as Tim is saying. Um, and there is a library right now called libp2p that runs both in JavaScript in the browser as well as on Go. And it lets you get up and running with a bit of transport so you can start publishing HTTP-style services um, onto the web without going through the discovery mechanism of DNS. And I think this is incredibly exciting in terms of opening up a whole new wave of decentralization that is critical both for the web and for communications and really any kind of service. So that would be my rant. I think that's really that's really exciting. And the thing that, that becomes makes this actually... Almost inevitable is the fact that the, if the IoT stuff actually takes off in any way like the, the numbers that people are graphing, then the current infrastructure is, isn't really mentally set up for that, let alone um, necessarily able to do it. It's like, you know, the, mo- the model of services, okay, you can have microservices, but like, does it go down to Pico services? Does it make sense to have my you know, every radiator having its own web server? Like, I don't know. So, so I think that that's going to push this, push people in the commercial world into thinking about some of the things that we're talking about now, more maybe than the kind of Facebooky problems, which we think are serious, but a lot of people will live with for quite a while contentedly or not too discontentedly. Yeah, I don't think there's really been an answer on the IoT side for this. I mean, there's been some multicast DNS, um, discovery stuff, some kind of UPnP discovery stuff locally. Um, but when it comes to the open federation of the internet for going and, I know, hooking up different IoT services, visualization, aggregation, whatever, with the different devices flying around the place, um, I don't think people have got further beyond possibly DNS. Why don't we have whatever? URIs everywhere which is almost as bad as DNS for the technical user, and it's just streaming out for the kind of um, universal discovery service to be there where people can just advertise themselves and you can choose to use them or not. So I think this is really the new frontier, whether it's for IoT or Facebook or anything. Um, I don't know if Paul wants to take it or not. I, I had my get-off-my-lawn moment during the distributed web conference because <clears throat> I installed IPFS while I was there, and... Yes, libptp gives you all these potential options to connecting to everything, and then it does. I, I saw my laptop try to generate hundreds of simultaneous connections to absolutely everything. And uh, I work primarily on congestion control, and there's a reason why we actually don't connect to absolutely everything all the time. So I hope that on top of the new WebRTC channels, yeah, UDP and JavaScript, what could go wrong? Um, that some of the lessons that we have learned about how to manage bandwidth um, do get layered on top of this uh, cornucopia of potential ways to connect to each other. 
Um, the second one, the really ironic thing during the entire conference, um, archive.org runs one of the most free and open Wi-Fi access points anywhere. But they turn off peer-to-peer -peer sharing. It's called AP um, isolation mode because multicast abuses Wi-Fi so badly. So nobody in this room doing peer-to-peer distributed web could actually share a file with, them, with the guy right next to them. And I'm this like, is oh, very guys, ironic. this is a problem. This is another bigger, larger meta problem. You might want to think about it solving this one. And uh, so I didn't get my TCP 101 talk in. But I, these, the meta problems are, yes, we have these wonderful, big, glorious ideas. We have a bunch of old farts that have a lot of pain points. And we have all this technology. And having a conference like that distributed web conference, the meeting of the old and the new, great. And we need to do that more often. Uh, in the future, and so on. So that's my, another one of my rants. <laughs> uh, but first, I'm trying to, th I would like API isolation, but why on earth can't I federate with you right next to me? Um, and if you could solve that problem, that's that's a good start. Uh, getting rid of the middleman, uh, finding a way to better ways. Yeah, right. Matthew, what, Matthew, you've got answers for this. So come on, give some answers. Well, I mean, for this particular problem, I mean, it's not Matrix that solves, it saves the day. It's very much the VoIP community in WebRTC. The, the problem of firewall traversal when you are on an inhospitable network, which is blocking the peers on the same private IP address space from talking to one another, is very much a solved problem. I mean, it took um, the guy pressing turn um, years to get the RFC um, out there in the ITF space, but they did eventually. And now it's relatively well-established um, technology. And again, we're using it right now to punch through our various different firewalls and maps. And I'm on an evil corporate um, um, firewall right now, which only allows me to talk HTTP. And yet it's smart enough to be tunneling through an HTTP proxy through to a turn and TLS relay to go and take me onto the Jitsi bridge. So, I mean, sure, people can create inhospitable IPv4 and, indeed, IPv6 networks with nasty topologies like the one with the Internet Archive. But luckily, the protocols are out there um, to go and federate through and bridge things. And honestly, if um, your favorite peer-to-peer -peer system, whether it's for VoIP or for communication or file sharing, can't punch through your firewalls via term or whatever other natural traversal mechanism, then it needs to... Um, get with the peasants because this really is a solved problem now. But um, I agree, it was very ironic and irritating that peer-to-peer -peer traffic was disabled because, if nothing else, it was hammering the hell out of their internet connection because everybody was having to hairpin off a term server in order to do their screen-sharing demos and their WebRTC conferences, even if they're just trying to talk to the guy sitting next to them. Very annoying. Unfortunately, that is the standard behavior. I mean, most corporate Wi-Fi access points won't let, and that's a lot of Wi-Fi. Yeah, well, let's not talk about that. Oh. Let's talk about well, well, let, hang on, just uh, well, well, come on, Tim. I've I, lost I, just, I just want to finish one last point, which is what will happen is that that you'll see the deployment of corporate term servers. So you'll have a nested hierarchy of term servers. You'll have a term server that sits within the within the corporate hierarchy, and then one outside on the internet. And people will, and you'll. Your your WebRTC stuff will use whatever it can to make that connection. So you'll you'll start to see corporates deploying turn exactly because it hammers out hammers their internet connections. Yeah. Anyway, can I change the subject now? 
I want to talk about something which is quite dear to my heart, and it links back into LinkedIn and Microsoft, and that's this business of uh, identity authentication and um, who kind of owns that, and do we want anybody who's a corporate to be able to own your identity? Um, uh, what do you think? Uh, I, I guess, Matthew, you've got a whole load to say about uh, uh, identity and strong authentication, haven't you? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, my main um, kind of uh, motive um, or auxiliary motive, I should say, for going to the conference last week, actually, was to talk about this whole problem of decentralized identity management. Because it's all very well that we have our um, LinkedIn accounts, which is this very um, siloed definition of identity. We've got our Facebook IDs. We've got our E164 numbers owned by the dear old telcos. Uh, we've got our email addresses um, linked, obviously, through to DNS with all of the minor problems that SMTP has about asserting people's real identity. And obviously, in the centralized world, it's a huge fight over who owns your identity. And Facebook yeah, for many years. Things, yeah, things like your your national passport, your identity card, your driver's license, uh, national insurance number. Yep. You've got the whole public sector space. And in fact, there was a fascinating conference put on by the UN of all people a few months ago for decentralized identity in New York. Um, they asked me to come along, but unfortunately couldn't make it. But um, they, they were really trying to solve the physical public sector identity problem at the same time as the whole question of avoiding Microsoft or Facebook or Google becoming the kind of primary key for your identity. Um, and it's something that everybody in the decentralized space needs to fix, whether it's, again, for social networking or VoIP or um, publishing, uh, or, as you say, even your, your just your personal public sector um, identifiers it is a huge challenge, especially when you tie the reputation problem into it as well, because in a decentralized world for communication, uh, we need a way to tell whether I trust people. If I get an email from somebody, is it spam or not? If I get a VoIP call over SIP or XMPP or Matrix, is it, again, is it spam? And the only way to manage a decentralized reputation system that tracks whether you think people should be listened to or whether they're abusive or whatever, you need to have a primary key somewhere, and that's then the identity system. And again, you need somewhere to store it, which um, is not by any given body, whether that's the DNS root server zoning it, or whether it's on blockchain, or whether it's a DHT somewhere, who knows? But you know, this is a huge, huge um, consideration that was basically my main uh, reason for going to the summit. And I basically spoke to anybody who would listen to me about it, and we got some interesting ideas and general agreement that it's a problem that everyone has, but no silver bullets quite yet. You know, it's interesting I, uh, because on uh, a video call such as this or any video call, you can basically mute your mic and you can turn your camera off. Um, so you can be identified by uh, assuming you know what the person looks like by having the camera on. They can turn it off and be sort of a, not necessarily. And what, what you're talking about, you know, when each human being is born, there would be a possibility of some assigning some number that would uh, uniquely identify that person, right? Because we can generate numbers, we can generate a long hash code that would be completely unique uh, for the foreseeable future of the planet, right? Uh, but then there's the problem of, well, now that we have that, if it's actually, for lack of a better way of saying it, if it was just a chip that was installed, so you turn it off, then... 
There's the problem of being always identified, or could you turn it off? I don't know. The, the physical manifestation of this is hard enough to think about. And once you put these levels of abstraction of a federation, you know, dealing with people over electronic networks, it becomes even more weird because there's immediately, in other words, the physical person, no man in the middle possible, unless they tear the chair it is. But in the physical, well, in the, right? You see what I, you see the, yeah, parallel? Well, anybody see, understand the parallel that I'm trying to draw here? Oh, completely. It's dangerous. So we don't want to live in the world where it actually links through to your DNA to your physical person. I mean, that's, no, that's really serious. Absolutely not. And, and I'll yet tell you that what, would be the only foolproof way, though, right? Yeah, I don't want one identity. I want a number of identities, uh, different persona for different purposes. I don't want to be the same person all the time. Discuss that one. Um, no, absolutely. Early on in my internet career, and I've encouraged people, particularly in China, to do this, I posed as multiple people. I must have had 30 aliases. I'm not going to identify any of them now. I was a troll. I was also an idiot. And I would create a throwaway identity to ask a question of an expert because I was it was bad for my ego to be wrong. And yet I didn't want to be wrong, and I was willing to ask the question. I, I, the idea of an idea of a, of an ID, an identity. Your identity changes over time as well. Your reputation can go up or down. Um, and I, we are not the same people that got drunk and photographed, passed out at the age of 17 in a bar. And unfortunately, that we're carrying that forward with us. Actually, so I a am. wonderful story. We have this wonderful story that outlined the effects of, of having a, a real-world identity. That one of the first ones written about cyberspace was by Werner Vinge called True Names and Other Dangers. Awesome story. And my thinking is, is that in order for us to evolve our identity in both the legal and cyberspatial sense, is that we need to have our, our beginner identity, you know? And then just like people would give up everything and move to a different town, maybe even change their name to start their life over after screwing up, um, that we need to be able to have a revocable identity or a deletable identity. Um, and in the, your case of, uh, um, we need to have multiple identities, the Clark Kent and the Superman, um, and the, the social identity and the non-social identity. Indeed. And, uh, and you use different identities for different purposes. Yes. So, um, and I think that this ultimately does have to acquire the force of law. Um, yeah, and some of the identities you might have to link in biometric uh, details for authentication. So things like, a, I don't know, a national passport or something like that, or something which unlocks uh, large financial transactions, for, for example. Um, you've got to have multiple factors on the account in order to secure it. Uh, effectively, and and I don't want anybody else going into my my bank account. So being able to put uh, I don't know three or four different factors that I know uh, only I have access to is something that's quite attractive to me. I think, and not passwords because I can, because I can't remember anything these days. Yeah, I know that my video has failed completely. I've also crashed twice. Yeah, I, yeah well, I've had a few. I've, I've had to keep on re. I see my, you. My uh, I have seen you uh, continuously, um, but uh, but I don't see I don't see James. So oh. There's a few peccadillos on this system. I'm going to reboot. Uh, sorry. Well, last okay. I looked, I'm seeing all sorts of uh, failed, Oops, unprotected video RTP packets. 
in my life. The live stream is reflecting exactly what we see on here at the moment. So uh, James's video is just not there. Yeah, he's just when he's talking uh, totally black. Um, okay. I've seen. Uh, he's the only person who I do not see, though. Yeah, I mean, Dave. I've, anyway, saw, I've seen you the whole time, though. Okay. Well, I wanted to point out that I, another great author, Charles Strauss, wrote about uh, a whole bunch of people that did culture jamming and essentially uh, scrambled all the databases that they could in order to get a, an illusion of privacy again. So, for example, in this conversation, I've been Rube Goldberg. Who knows? I'll be somebody else tomorrow. I have. I know somebody that took all the databases you could find in the public of people's names, addresses, and phone numbers, scrambled them, and then put them out there in various and sundry places to try to increase the noise to signal value of your existing true name. So, so interestingly, that that's something that cropped up in in Apple's um, in the side channel from Apple's WWDC this week, which is this thing about differential privacy. The idea that, that they are going to add random noise to, to data that they sample from millions of people. And then because they're aggregating it in the middle, they can average that back out again. So they end up with an aggregate number, which is correct. I'm hugely traducing the maths of this, but it's roughly the right idea, I think, that you you know, you end up with an aggregate number that is that is correct, but that any individual number you chose to intercept would be wrong by the amount of random noise that was added. So um, I know that was an interesting idea, although apparently somebody was saying that you can't use it because Microsoft has a patent on it, which presumably Apple must know. So I don't know. There's, there's, anyway, but I thought it was interesting that, that, that this is coming into the commercial domain. It's like not science fiction anymore. It's things that people make lots of money on, allegedly. Well, I just crashed out and came back again. Mm. I see that the screen is now focused on Paul. Anything else? Well, I'm focused on you, Dave. Well, it was for... Anyway, yeah, there's lots of weird things are happening here. The audio is more or less okay. Uh, I don't know why uh, Michael wasn't receiving... I I turned my video all the way, so I don't know what that's going to be. Yeah, there's something very bad happening here. The the resource bill for Chrome is going through the roof. So I'm going to give up on Chrome and try something else. I think the problem is that when Jitsi hits more than about eight or nine HD streams, because it's a stream forwarding unit and you're receiving the thumbnail version of the video from everybody, that's quite a lot of strain on any individual machine. I mean, my top-of-the-range MacBook Pro is making a noise like a Chinook or possibly an Osprey, (laughs) um, depending on your preferred um, vertical takeoff device. Um, uh, certainly, one of my hopes is that we will ultimately be able. And yet, to the uh, the logic of the SFU okay. is supposed to be that it avoids this sort of circumstance. Mm, yeah, yeah. Not about experience. It's just uh, separate streams for everybody, and lots of CPU to go and encode and decode. But my one's doing an okay mm-hmm. job. I don't know if who would yeah, for, what it, for what it's worth, I've got a high-end uh, MacBook Air, and the noise mine's making is a bit like the helicopter from. Um, um, the thing with the blue people. What's it called? It begins with A. Shrimps. That one. Shrimps. No. Avatar. Avatar. Yeah, well, at least, at least nobody, nobody's got a machine that sounds like a Harrier because that's the, that's the noisiest vertical takeoff machine. You can tell I can what's think going of. on here. I've I've eaten the most of a packet of Harry Boo. I think that's uh, the main problem you have. And I'm totally useless now, including the green ones. Yeah. All right. Have we covered everybody's rants? I, 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 I said something about that earlier, James. Come on, buddy. Yeah, I know. I just, no. I, I just must not do this. It's bad. <laughs> well, if, if, we're, if we're done ranting, I would love to know more about how people envision uh, And I've lost Randy's audio now. And you're not um, hearing Dave's either. Uh, yeah, Dave was speaking. Yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike, we just 
talked oh, right crazy. at the top of David. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know, Michael. I don't know what the the issue you're having there, Michael, because um, a lot of times you say you don't hear people and they're there, I, and I can't figure that out. I I mean, I literally can't see how that could be happening, and yet it is. Mm. Matthew's, we need Matthew's, Matthew's like nobody. You know, he's like okay, that's yeah. great. That's his famous stiff upper lip. Dave, I don't see any video from you either now. Um, I can stop. How about everybody stop sending video for a second? Reload it, Dave. Reload. Yeah, just do a refresh, I I guess. There he is. Gotcha. Um, Good. This is a worldwide conference, at least um, on around the world. So I'm still really impressed that anything works, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of done ranting. Thank you, by the way, for the phrase on differential security. There's been some analysis by Matt Green on that, which I'm going to read after the talk. Um, I had uh, one more thought on the distributed web conference. Um, Brewster, there's a lot of there was a lot of idealism. You can see Brewster Kale wanting to lock the First Amendment into code, and he certainly he's quoting Lawrence Lessig uh, as well as code as law. The thing is, is that the First Amendment is possibly not all you need, and it doesn't apply in many countries. Um, so we are exporting the U.S. Bill of Rights. Maybe by doing that, and the counter the counter side of that one is is that how is just two things how is the distributed web going to not be dark web 2.0 with a warm fuzzy smiley face? And I thought that I would ask Matthew that question. If he's still here. Perfect. Yeah. No, I am. Sorry, I turned off my video to try to save Jitsi some headache. Um, and now we don't see uh, you. Great. Oh, am I here? No, well, you're. I can hear you, but we don't. We see black. But you go ahead and speak no, anyway. I'll try toggling my video again and pray. Okay. Yeah, that's one of the things. I think that may be a bug, actually. Yeah, Jitsi's not very well today. Yeah. Oh well. Well, well I mean, if you can hear me, yeah, um, go I, ahead. I'd love to answer sure, the, uh, the question on on the dark web because it really is this whole question of reputation that was my obsession from the whole conference, and actually began in a slightly weird way. And um, there was some brainstorming at the beginning to see what things we they wanted on the agenda for the conference. And I said, oh, well, we've got to fix this decentralized reputation. Otherwise, it's just going to become the dark web 2.0 and there's going to be all sorts of nasty people doing nasty things on it. And there's going to be spam, abuse, illegality and the whole shebang. And um, uh, uh, in the session, I, I think I was... Standing opposite Cory Doctorow, who went and uh, I'm sorry, it. I got locked out. Is anybody else? Did I miss a really good answer to my question? Anybody here? Am, I, am I still here? Uh, Matthew yeah, was still, speaking. Still there, Matthew. So various I, I can people, hear you, Matthew. Yeah, various people are losing one person's audio, which is really up. Yeah, yeah, I know how that happens actually. But there you go. Let's go into I... that in a moment. Well, sorry, Matthew. Yeah, we, I was hearing you the whole time through. No, I, I no, missed okay. that pregnant pause. I asked the question and then silence. Which uh, can you hear me? No. I hear you fine. So, Tim, so, over to you Matthew. for a second because since so, we've so, already... so, Dave, I strongly encourage you to reload because yeah. you've basically lost a couple of streams. Yes. Bye bye. I'm going to start restart Chrome and Control or Command R. Yeah, I think I've got to switch to um, Safari. Uh-huh. Edge. No, not not to be uh, not to be contrarian, but in a talking heads presentation, such as this, an audio conference bridge might be a lower overhead solution that might not well, get in the it. way. We know it is. <laughs> Which we one? Know well, probably the best, most fully featured uh, wideband conference bridge on the planet. Zip DX. 
Well, well, I wasn't going to mention any names, but as you've brought it up, Randy, (laughs) that would work really well. So I still want to hear, Matthew, what Cory Dockrow said. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, uh, am I back in the room? Can you hear me? Can you see me? Yes, we, we I got can you. Hear you. Go. And you're on the recording, which so, is important. So Cory Dockrow went and shot me down in spectacular flames, um, saying, dude, I wrote the book on reputation. Um, and indeed he did, right? So I think his first sci-fi book, um, uh, Down and Out in the Little Kingdom or something like that, um, is specifically about a society which uses reputation systems as their currency and explains that reputation is a disaster. It is corrupt. It corrupts absolutely in much the manner that um, money and power does because basically people go and start um, hoarding their reputation. They, uh, it encourages sycophancy. It encourages um, karma whoring where people go and try to build up um, their reputation by sucking up to people in order really for the social prestige of it rather than because they actually have a high reputation. So it's really, uh, and you get these sort of super connected people um, with hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers, ironically like Cory, um, who <laughs> end up with a disproportionate amount of influence in a society and that isn't necessarily for the greater health. So there was this great big discussion on whether the reputation thing could be solved to save the dark web um, from happening to the decentralized one. And we did get some conclusions, but um, uh, Paul, I think you were wanting to interrupt my rant. I just want to get in queue. I don't want to to stop you. The punchline basically was that we agreed to disagree in that he still thinks that reputation in general is a flawed idea to try to... um, maintain because there are so many different dimensions of reputation you've you know it ranges from properly abusive to you know something even like attractiveness you can imagine that if you had a decentralized reputation database people would start using it for a decentralized hot or not kind of um rate myself or rate my friends kind of service and all of it becomes incredibly distasteful and unpalatable whereas i guess i was countering by saying that if you had the necessary UX and tools to curate where you get your reputation data from. And you look at your social graph and you see that you're inheriting 80% of your gray list of people you trust and the people you rate from Cory because you're following Cory on Twitter or whatever, and therefore he starts wielding his disproportionate power. If you can visualize that and you can dial down the amount of reputation that you inherit from these different um, silos, these different people, and you actually empower users to make an educated decision. You know, do I align myself with Corey? Do I go and inherit my reputation database from Obama or Donald Trump or whoever it might happen to be? Then that could be a lot more of an interesting story for this whole decentralized gray list world. But it's a huge if, and it's basically tantamount to fixing spam. But if somebody nails it, it could make the world a very different mm. place. And that was my rant. Fascinating. I I, th- I think it's I think it's interesting that that we're kind of approaching. I mean, you and I, Matthew, have basically been approaching the same problem from opposite ends. And what we're slowly doing is coming together in the middle. That the provenance of the connectivity matters, and the reputation matters, and that that it's some amalgam of the two that that actually is something that we could use to to filter on. Precisely how that's going to play out, I don't know. And and, and finally, I'm going to. Be quiet and let Paul say the thing he was in the queue for. Oh, so I wouldn't, I would not have wanted to go up against Cory Doctorow on this topic, but I do want to point out that the ability to write uh, compelling, realistic-seeming fiction uh, does not a proof make. 
Oh, indeed. Um, and um, if I dial backward in this thread to, um, I guess, Dave, who was saying that he had created a lot of different identities, um, I've been dealing with spam longer than anybody. And one of the conclusions I've come to is that I do not wish to be contacted by anyone. I do not wish them to be able to send me a packet or anything um, unless I have recourse, unless they have paid some kind of deposit somewhere that they are in danger of losing. And in the absence of that, as a simple fundamental primary, uh, nothing else we do is going to work. Um, and so I don't want it to be that Dave has 20 different ways to represent himself to me. I want to know that uh, I'm being contacted by somebody that I could sue or issue a criminal complaint against or, you know, uh, get their deposit and you know make them go offline until they restore the deposit or something like that. If you don't do that, then the dark side of humanity is going to dominate the next wave of digital technology. Now, I had four other things I could say, but we are running perilously out of time here. Oh, not um, at all. Not at all, Paul. So we're, not, we're not running out that of time. We never run out of time. As well. Please continue. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Paul. I mean, you're welcome okay. to. Or otherwise somebody can respond. But if, if you want to continue, go ahead. We're not running out of time. So the way the digital world has evolved uh, has made nations less relevant or differently relevant than they once were. Um, certainly, uh, the internet goes everywhere, you know, even in the, in spite of things like the great firewall of China, um, there, the, the, the internet is a society that is, uh, natively transnational and what it is at any given moment has to do with who is cooperating with whom about what. Um, and so the IETF tries to centralize and cohere that cooperation and ICANN tries to centralize and cohere the respect for the identifiers that are used for unique endpoints. But ultimately, it's all about cooperation. And um, as near as I can tell, the only universal fact of the Internet is that it uses binary arithmetic and 802.3 packet formats. Um, and I, I want to say that to the extent that the distributed web uh, comes up with a new way to cooperate, um, it will be as successful as as it should be. Um, but uh, if, if you want to supplant something, you have to give them something that they're not getting elsewhere. And what I've noticed right now is that I have a plethora of different secure uh, 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 messaging apps and different people prefer different ones. And so I have an identity in all of them and I have installed all of them. And for whatever reason, Telegram is the thing I'm using right now, which was funded by somebody who hates the Russian government and wants to be able to communicate in, uh, in, in the part of the world that the Russian government dominates without being overheard. Um, and that's great because they're paying for it. Um, if we wanted to replace LinkedIn with something that was not um, you know, sending copies of all of our packets to various national security agencies for various governments around the world. Now, somebody would have to pay for that. And, you know, I can tell you, having tried to fund Bind for 19 years, that people don't want to pay for it. They just want the benefit. And unless you figure out how you're going to get it paid for, then it doesn't matter what your vision was. Um, so uh, coming back to reputation, though, 
I don't think nations are going to be the root of the reputation tree. Uh, They are right now because my passport is the root of everything else I do, but they won't be for long. It'll be uh, as it is on eBay. It'll be how many successful transactions I've had and how many stars I have as a result of people upvoting me. And that's inevitable. That's just the way that we're going to be uh, going to be doing this. Um, and I think ultimately it's going to be my employer, my school, my church, my social clubs, uh, and my friends who define my ability to act in society much more so than how much money I have or how pretty I am. And that could be a good thing. Um, but I do want everybody to think carefully about the fact that individuals are less powerful than gangs. The reason we aggregate as humans is because when we act alone, we are weak. And when we act in concert, we are stronger. And so the churches, the corporations, the political parties, uh, the the nations uh, that we join, the criminal gangs that we join, uh, are how we express ourselves. Um, and all of those people, all of those entities, every criminal gang, every national government, every church, every political party has a vested interest in predicting what we're going to do, watching what we do, controlling what we do. And um, they're going to be watching this whole reputation thing as it evolves. And if they can't stop it, then they're going to do what they always do. They're going to pollute it. They're going to pay millions of other people to come and create fake eBay identities As you all know, if you're buying and selling on eBay, there's a good chance that somebody who's got 100,000 successful transactions behind them has those 100,000 because they read a book on how to scam the eBay reputation system. So um, sort of how we we do this depends on who we can get to cooperate with us, which depends on our vision and our funding. And uh, how successful we are depends on who we threaten and what they do about it. And, and those, to me, are the, 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 the real pollock of um, what you've been discussing today. I'll shut up now. Very lucid stuff, Paul. I mean, it's, I find no disagreement anywhere there, and it's, uh, it's uh, alternatively depressing <laughs> and ludicrous, but <laughs> there it is. Corrado, did you have yeah. something to say? Yeah, I've been arguing for quite a number of years now that possibly Internet is its own continent. And we probably need its own legislation and its own government. Discuss. Well, I'm sure Larry Lessig would be happy to be president of the Internet. I mean, well, in this case, it goes back. I think those of us who've dealt with ICANN are probably less keen on that idea. (laughs) Um, Well, in part, the reason why I see all a lot of the innovation happening in in the DHTs and the distributed web is because people are can't deal with it. What we're saying, I. Wait, wait a second, because Sorry. Dave was speaking. I guess you didn't. Oh, no, I, I was trying to react to Paul being overly right, but I mean, and get down to detail. Tim, it's much easier you're... to bash I can. No, 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 but the, my problem is physically, some of you are not hearing others. It makes the whole thing untenable, and I apologize. I'm sorry. It's, plus, I'm looking at a bunch of robot heads, almost <laughs> half of you. <laughs> now, I don't know who that is. No, no, Matthew, I see you. Uh, oh, I see Tim. So you, you guys were turning, some of the people were turning, to explain to the people who are listening to the audio, if you've gotten this far. And I hope you have, because Paul and uh, others have been saying very interesting stuff. But on the video, it's a distraction. Look, let me break to say this. The, having video of talking heads of, really is no value, because it's distracting us 
from getting this discussion happening, and I'm sorry for that. Um, go ahead now. Oh, I, Dave, go Pat, ahead. Who can hear Dave? I can hear you, can hear and Dave? you're on the recording. Everyone so. raise their hand that can hear me. Oh, he We've lost what live stream, by the way. What if he can't hear me now? Dave, can you hear me? So, Matthew, I can hear you fine. Can Matthew hear me? He's not raising his hand. Yes, he, he says yes. Nodding. Anyway, go he ahead, because the recording him. hears you. My, my local recording my hears point, I think my larger point is that what Paul had to say was so profound and so heavy that it crashed all our software. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. It is a heavy burden. Um, and I did lose my thread because of the interjection of the technology, too. Uh, the things that weigh Paul down weigh me down, too. And I do try to retain some essential optimism um, so that somehow we will muddle through uh, and still work towards solving things. I did have one last idea on the distributed web conference, um, but if anyone would like to talk to Paul's comments, I'll shut up. Anyone oh, want to? Am I back? Am I back? Yes, yeah, I go am. ahead. Go ahead, James. You want to speak yeah. to Paul's comments? Hang on. Sorry about that. Um, no, I don't. No, I'm just amazed. I've managed to get back again. <laughs> I've tried uh, Firefox. I mean, this Jitsi thing is uh, a train wreck. Well, today, we're having some problems here. Anyway, l- move on to anyone want to address what Paul said because I think it's yeah, pretty, um, pretty dense. Sorry, Andy. Can I can I just um, jump in on, on Paul's thing Absolutely. because I think he had a huge point in terms of nations no longer being the roots of the reputation system. However, I think it's interesting to wonder specifically what is. And, yeah, you know, I mean, this is a problem that we are trying to solve on the matrix side right now um, in a very kind of pragmatic way. And what we're looking at is just using the social graph that is implied by matrix in order to try to work out where the roots lie. So the idea is that if you're in a bunch of different rooms, matrixed over different um, chat technologies, whether it's Slack or XMPP or IRC or Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, whatever the hell it might be, you have the um, ability to upvote and downvote messages on various different dimensions. And say that if I see everything that Tim says, and I think he's the best guy in the world, and I agree with it, and I think he's amazing, and I go and upvote every message, then it's, del- it's clearly starting to build an implicit social graph of people who respect one another and who trust one another. And then um, if um, the, and then you can basically inherit their gray lists, for want of a better word. So if um, Tim has been busy upvoting, downvoting people, I have an idea of who he thinks is great and who isn't. Um, I clearly am connected to him. So if I meet a stranger, then I can look at whether there's transitive trust between um, Tim uh, and this guy. And if Tim already knows him and vouches for him, that should be enough. Um, for me to assume this guy is good too. So in theory, I think this might possibly just solve the problem of trust roots in that you go and uh, um, sort of articulate one's own model of um, who you respect and who you know. And it could be people in your church, your company, your political party, whatever it is. In practice, it's just the people that you have empirically rated and that then defines uh, who you inherit your grey listing data from. And if you throw in the idea that I mentioned earlier of curating which people you actually do deliberately pull in that grey listing data from, I think it might possibly be a solution to this. I mean, it's all very, very hypothetical and hand-wavy and sci-fi, and honestly, we haven't even built a proof of concept of it yet. But it's something that we really, really want to do on top of the matrix data set and see whether it sinks or swims. So... I don't know. Somebody tell me if I'm speaking here with somebody else because the audio is. You're good. Hopefully, You're good. Go. Hopefully but so I, I mean, 
I've been playing with this exactly the same problem from precisely the other end. I'm interested in in how do you assert authority over over IoT devices, how do you claim them, and how do you lend them to other people in ways that you trust? So, you know, how do I lend somebody access to my garage doors or my, you know, whatever it is? Um, and I and came out with the, revert that, that permission later. Yes, and, and maybe time expire it and those sorts of things. But what, what I came to the realization was that actually the correct solution to this was to go back and read Jane Austen. Um, and, and what happens... <laughs> What happens in Jane Austen is that the young ladies are not allowed to speak to people until they've been introduced by a peer that both parties already know. And that is, you at that point, you're, you're, you're formally introduced by somebody who knows both people and can, and can say, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Bennett, Miss Bennett, meet, meet Mr. Darcy. And at that point, Mr. Darcy and Miss Bennett can speak to each other in polite company. And I Mrs. think that introduction, that, 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 that having to be introduced is pretty much what, what Matthew's saying, but, but I'm being more brutal about it. I'm saying, you know, you have to be physically in proximity for that to, to play out because I don't want anyone, you know, I think that's an interesting um, limitation that works for IoT. It doesn't yeah. work for, for Facebook. Yeah, yeah I think, I think it's you've got... Um, well, sorry, James. I was just going to say that it's uh, a valid subset of the problem, but um, also right. if you just limit our problem to invites to, you know, am I allowed to start a conversation? Then again, you probably do only need a binary vouch system to basically have somebody who can vouch for you. Um, but I still quite like the generic solution too. On themselves, Paul's consideration that you need to have a financial penalty on people to get them to participate in the system. If instead you can rely on social dynamics and this ad hoc social graph to decide whether you trust, whether it's introductions to Mr. Darcy or a more informal, hey, I saw in practice, I seem to know that you hang out with him, therefore you're probably okay, which is more the model I'm going for. Doc, Doc Crow's thing is basically that if you go to that far enough down that line, reputation becomes currency. So actually, you're, you're, the two alternatives meld into the same thing. Oh, yeah. Sorry, James. Were you trying to say yeah, something? You've got me, yeah, I, I, I'm with you with all of the things that you, you're saying. But in the back of my mind, there's something niggling me saying you've got to have this kind of emergency communication protocol uh, built in there that allows somebody you don't know to knock on your door and talk to you. Um, and, and they may have to, as I think it was um, Dave um, was saying, you, you may have to lay down £25 on the table um, uh, to get you in, to get you introduced, um, which if the person who's receiving the call doesn't like what you're saying, then you don't get the £25 back. And immediately that that slows down the amount of spam you get. Um, but but you've got to have this emergency calling type protocol. So if there's an accident or or um, I don't know um, your your wife has an accident in the car and then somebody then tries to phone you to tell you give you some kind of important information, um, you don't turn them away because you don't know them. But doesn't the social graph model solve that? So if it's some random nurse in the hospital trying to phone how? me up out of nowhere. Well, because they already, I mean, it's going to be like three degrees of separation, probably, or four degrees of separation to some random nurse, and they're going to have good reputation and should hopefully propagate through your network to reach them. They're not going to be any complete islands. Okay, but a different scenario. Say there's uh, uh, an accident on the road uh, 200 yards down the road from um, from my house. 
and the guy comes staggering up with blood pouring down his face. Uh, and um, my door system won't let him in because he doesn't know who he is or won't alert me because he hasn't got £25 to put in the, in, in the meter or whatever. There's got to be some kind of um, emergency protocol where, which you can up the ante by being emotional or, or doing something. I mean, there's got to be a, a number of different factors that trigger the emergency communication protocol, but you've got to have it. An emergency override. You're miles and miles away, Corrado. Yeah, Corrado, you're actually on. Go ahead, say it again, because you need to get closer to the mic. I mean, an emergency override. It's just like on Star Trek. Emergency override computer. Yeah. My my authentication key is. I wish I had that sound effect queued up, but I don't. Surely the emergency override is, you know, if you've lost all of your tech and you're stripped naked with blood running down your head, blah, 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 blah. Surely you should just um, uh, yell at people <laughs> in real life. It's not a technology problem anymore. Let's, let me get uh, Ken so, Rice in so, here because he just called in. So, Ken, you wanted to say something. Ah, but you're muted somehow. I don't know <laughs> what the problem is. <laughs> There's like 12 mute buttons over here. Go, hey, for, it. Going, Go for it, Ken. We can hear you now. Go. Yeah, I, I was just going to say on the uh, – you, you, uh, James was talking about, you know, charging somebody 25 pounds just to talk to you and everything. If only we could get telemarketers to do that, because what they do is they'll show you the 25 pounds, but they'll be offshore. So you never get your 25 pounds out of them. Exactly. <laughs> In which case they wouldn't get through to me, would they? And I get this all the time. I mean, from Randy, Randy keeps on saying, James, I've got 25 telephone numbers for you. Nobody gets through to you. I never get through to anyone. No one gets through to James. No one. But the answer is, Randy, (laughs) probably because I don't want to talk to you at that moment in time. Yeah, but when you do. Some of us actually do get quite busy during the week. (laughs) But then when you call me. I slide it over to the garbage can. So what can I tell you? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, we've got to have a protocol for this. All right. Did- in, in fact, what, what, what I want is a, is a good bot. I want a Jarvis-type Iron Man bot, which answers all my calls. So, Hello? Is this call important? How important is this? And, uh, and if, if I put you through to JB and it's not important, you'll never talk to him ever again sort of thing. I owed him, right? You're screwed. I owed him. I owed him. They did uh, this. Uh, 10 it used years to be wildfire. Ago. Did this ten years ago, and it yes, was a good wildfire. idea. Yeah, well, I had wildfire. I thought it was brilliant. Prioritizing. Yeah. What, uh, what what noise does a cow make? Do you, you know what we did not cover? That's going to probably irritate a lot of the uh, super techies. But uh, we mentioned that we were going to talk about WWDC, and there's very few things to mention. I mean, nobody cares about ios and all that but and the mac os uh rename oh, i care about we were things, going to speak of that. james we were going to speak of iMessages. the rumor that iMessage, because everybody's concerned with chat and we've been talking about all these different vectors and ways vector.im v- ways to get into uh, <laughs> ways to get uh, to, to speak anyway um, there was a rumor, short-lived rumor, that uh, iMessage was going to be available for Android. It is not. It's but not. Uh, no, apparently, absolutely not. No, there was a hope that anyway, iMessage was going to be opened up. Yes, but you know what? It's not. Not iMessage. In the way that everybody I, wanted it. Let me. iMessage. iMessage will not be opened up until. Um, you know, what is it? The FaceTime video thing is SIP compliant. Yeah, right. That's going to happen real soon. Well, but, well, it, 
Well, it is SIP compliant, but it's secured with cryptographic keys, um, which are issued by Apple and pre-installed on Apple devices. So the only way you can use it is by having an Apple device. Apple has zero interest in interoperability. Apple has, as Michael said, Apple has little interest in interop. Um, By the way, does anybody ever heard of ThinkUp, the... uh, uh, the uh, analysis thing for social media, no, because uh, I can't think remember, up. can't remember his last name now. Gina Trapani and Anil lost it. Anyway, um, what's the name again? Think what up. Is the think name? up. Think up was a thing that was a tool to look at your social, uh, your activity on Twitter, Facebook, and so on, and put it all into a database. And. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, this went on for a while. It was a big business. Is that like clout? A little bit, a little bit, but not... Well, I wish I could explain it properly, but I was in it on the ground floor, and uh, the point is that they announced today... Gosh, I wish I could remember Neil's last name. It's crazy. Uh, but because uh, he's kind of a very, very intelligent guy, and he's been around. Let me see. Anil, Anil Dash. Yeah, Anil Dash. There you go. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Michael, because he's, he's an important person, because he's... Uh, if you listen to some of his interviews, he's a really bright guy. Anyway, he announced today that they're over. So that's all I wanted to say about that. I was I was involved in that. So well, here I am, Google Think Up, and you just no, say, Anil oh, Dash. don't they're over. Well, they just uh, announced it was over today. Anil Dash, who, like I said, he's uh, somebody who you can, well, he's on Medium and stuff like that. Um, also, I mentioned that Medium is really on the upswing, by the way. I've, I've posted this in a couple of places. And for those of you who maybe want to get into social media slash blogging in a growing platform rather than a declining one, right now, Medium is would be an interesting place to post. Ma- Matthew, I see your face, and I'm going to tell you, for example, you'd be a perfect person. You folks, someone should be posting about what you're doing on Medium. Why? Because well, you mean, um, are you? Medium.com slash Vector, Randy. I was going to say, I, I assume that you're intelligent enough to have been on there since I have, uh, which is months or years maybe. But yeah. So you, what do you think then? If you're on there, uh, what have you been doing and what do you think of it? So we used Medium as um, uh, the blog for the launch of Vexa last week. And it's an interesting thing because on one hand, it is a silo. So it's very um, ironic to be blogging about decentralized Absolutely. systems Absolutely. in a silo. On the other hand, it's a very, very nice authoring environment with some quirks, but it's you know um, they've written an incredibly nice WYSIWYG editor on onto it with beautiful typography and ligatures and all the nice things which you want in life. And um, uh, the analytics and the social networking elements, which all obviously tied into Twitter, um, is great. So I think they deserve to be on the upswing. But it would be lovely if it wasn't yet another silo, and we should probably be moving the vector material into something a little bit more decentralized, like Matrix. I, I totally get that, and I totally agree with you. The one thing that's interesting, I think the unique thing, and we're not going to talk for hours on the medium, but the one thing that is unique about it is that if someone, you know, if you post about, hey, Vector I am, we're doing blah, 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 we're doing this, someone can come back and post an entire article in response with inline images. And I don't know if there's anywhere else. Can I, am I missing something? Is there a place? Because it's, it's not easy to do this on Facebook. You can't do it on Google Plus at all. So what I'm saying is you go through this big thing about what you're doing and how great it is, or you know, even if it's political or a recipe, it doesn't matter. The person can respond to you with a full article and, like I say, inline images, videos, and so on. That's the main thing in the, the good authoring 
Which, by the way, is probably just somebody's library, isn't it? I mean, what they're using to enter text. No, no, it's the it's their key IP. They all went and wrote it themselves from scratch. And if you look at their engineering oh. blog, they're very, very proud of the fact that they've gone and built this crazy ass kind of Google Docs on steroids dedicated I, blog editor. I did. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that because you see that it looks a lot like a lot of the JavaScript editors that you see elsewhere. But fine. Anyway, point is, it's well done. And um, that's my main take on it, is that you can respond with a full-blown article. You can go, Jane, you ignorant slut. This is not true. You know? and, and that's actually good, because rather than just uh, fly-by, drive-by comments, you can do a full rebuttal of somebody's thing. Um, on well, the other hand, you, you could do that, Randy, back in the old days of um, blogging, in the classic days of the open web and open blogging, this was the way it worked. You'd go and do your blog post, and then somebody would write their rebuttal, and then your ping back, you would see that you'd been rebuttalized everywhere. Um, so all they've done is to do the same thing, but this time in a silo. Now, has anybody seen True. that uh, Dave Weiner, who was the original blogger, as far as I know, yeah. uh, has, has come forward with a new uh, idea, a platform mechanism that's trying to get some traction with that. I think they just sort of broke silence with it in the past week or so, trying to promote it around. I know nothing about it, except I sort of saw a little Twitter activity. Something you need to so. install, though, and so I didn't try it, and there... Um, the demo that he has on posted online doesn't respond, which means I, I guess there's just too many people. But yeah, I agree. It's interesting. No question. And Matthew, your comment, yeah, as far as the ability back in the old days, the ability, again, what I'm saying is that you can respond with an entire article. Well, you can do this, I guess, with uh, known, right? With Ben's... Uh, thing known, you can theoretically, or the open web anyway, you can respond with an article on your own blog, right? And there's a way to get that to make it look like it's connected. But I find that to be a little bit awkward, but it's a great idea. Yeah, that's certainly made the user experience much, much nicer on Medium in terms of having these full-blown responses to one another. The thing that I also really like on it is the ability to mark up particular um, bits, literally highlights, and it looks like you've got that sort of an old-fashioned um, green or yellow highlighter and in order to go and call out particular things and um, reference specific bits of the article. And that's really nice. I mean, that's, um, again, it's in a silo, but the user experience is like the web should be, the ability to kind of annotate and mark up. And it's like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You should be able to write in the margins for everybody else to read. And it turns out that the footnotes in the margins end up being more interesting than the actual article and then the you know, game that's continues. True. But um Again, they're headed in the right direction, but it's all yes and other side. So yeah, it's really a, a bit sad. It's really uh, exactly. It's really the the yin and yang. I mean, there's it's it's beautiful what they've done, and yet it is a silo. Uh, Michael just posted, and he's right to do so. Uh, Dave Weiner's thing, which is nineteen ninety nine one nine 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 dot io. Now, when I tried the demo, it was not answering. So I would love to take a look at what they're doing, but I'm sure it's great. Um, who else wants to chime in? I've already spoken way too much for this time. James, no. Who hasn't spoken? Dave. Ken, uh, you got in late. Uh, anything else? I did want to return to an, an older thing that, that I wanted to talk about. They've been calling it the devil and the DHT. And um, back to the distributed web conference and back to what Paul said about individuals being less powerful than groups. What I saw almost... So I do have a question. 
Go ahead, Tim. Hold on, Ken, because you're not hearing Dave, who's speaking. We've been having. No, hold on a second. Let me just say for everybody, because you can all apparently hear me, that Dave was speaking. Ken couldn't hear him, and I'm sorry we've have this problem throughout this conference. So let Dave go ahead, and then uh, figure out what we're doing here. Sorry, sorry. Specifically addressing this to Matthew myself. Matthew, can you hear me? I can, although I feel bad for Ken. (laughs) Go for it. God, this is complicated. Go ahead, Dave. Yes, please pass notes. Anyway, individuals are less powerful than gangs. Was that a go-ahead, Ken? No. No, no, no. Is it go-ahead, Dave? I'm so sorry. Ken, listen. Wait. Stop everything. Everybody stop what you're doing all over the world. Ken, reload your Jitsi, please. Reload. And then refresh and go, Dave. All right, Ken. Can you hear me now? Forget Ken. Speak. (laughs) Speak, Dave. Speak. Can you hear me now? Anyway, it's been again. I love the fact that this technology exists, and, and we're getting there. You know, we will. This will be perfect someday. Um, anyway, right. individual less powerful than gangs. The core thing, my big takeaway from the distributed get to, uh, conference, is that the IETF, ICANN, and all the big th- corporations, etc., are kind of viewed uh, as intimidating by everybody under the age of thirty-five. And I, yes, they try to be welcoming. Some of them, anyway, do. Um, you know, getting your own port number, your own IPv6 address space, um, get, you know, interacting with these processes is difficult and hidebound and old. But there's a lot of people that want past the baton, including me, um, and want to enable uh, whatever you want to do and let it be your internet. And I really, really wish that the intimidation didn't exist. And in particular, the thought that I'd had during the distributed web conference is that we have this IPv6 address space, which has got plenty of room left over. And there's lots of things that, that if a bunch of people agreed to it, that we could do to create an internet, internet two's taken, internet three. We could set down, set up a new IPv6 address space for people to play in um, and fix a few things along the way. And I would love to see the meshy people, the DHT people, all sort of working together in their new stuff in their new play space to make their stuff work together. Um, is that something that's like ever occurred to that um, matrix? That or sounds like such a good idea. And it's a bit like um, well, there's a parallel here with, with radio spectrum as well, where um, it's good to give people little lumps of spectrum just to go bananas in. Go play. Um, so I wanted to do was finally go up to Ripe and say, look, I would like to have um, IPv6 private address space. It will be managed by the following very trusted organizations, for example, archive.org, as well as whatever. It's going to touch down on every continent. We'll have a few new things in there, like requiring crypto between the um, touchdown points letting people get on via multiple means, be it a meshy protocol, be it a VPN protocol, don't care. And here, go play. Get back to us when you're done. But I also would like to have a little bit of adult supervision to try to guide it towards not becoming dark web 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't like being supervised. I know. Neither did I when I, I was people say, you can't do that, or I'm going to have to look over your shoulder. I, I feel distinctly uncomfortable with that, and, and, and I've always been like that. So I'd like to get that address space and promise, or several address spaces with trusted partners. I mean, uh, Paul's, Paul's nodding. No. All right, I'll let you talk, Paul. He's going like that. <laughs> um, and, and to say here, go play. Um, and go ahead, Paul. 
So the address space has been pretty well wired down by the powers that be. And, um, you know, there is some space that is available for uh, global unique uh, address, ULA, um, which is not supposed to ever get routed. And then everything else has to come from an RAR. And that RAR has to make allocations within its region. Um, so, so any of you what, who know what, that Brian Cantor what is an RAR? has the RARs or uh, regional internet registry, something like RIPE, which uh, David was just mentioning. Uh, RIPE is responsible for 152 countries in the Europe and Middle East. Uh, there's LACNIC in Latin America. There's AFRINIC in Africa, as you'd yeah, expect. Who, who, Aaron who these? for North America. Who appointed them? Because I, I didn't vote for them. By operators in those regions. There are five RARs. If so you want to make a sixth one, appointed they have by operators who are commercial organizations who make no, they, it included operators of university and research networks as well. Oh, okay. So I just want to say that if you would like to create another non-regional RAR or a regional RAR that was multi-region, then a trail of fire has been prepared for you. Uh, good, uh, good yeah, luck. I, I like that. Uh, trail if you would like to allocate space outside of the RAR system, a different trail of fire has been prepared for you. It's called the global policy process. Um, pretty much what Dave just said can't be done because that's not the way Internet governance uh, has been made to work. Um, and so uh, I myself would very much like to see a lot of mesh networking and a lot of uh, like packets to not have to go quite so far from A to Z when A and Z are in the same room. Um, but that is not the way Internet governance works. Anyway, the the important part of this break-in is that it is 2.30 in the morning here in Seoul, Korea, and my flight is at 4 p.m. tomorrow, and I've started to realize that I really should be sleeping instead of talking to you guys, as pleasant as it is. So thank, thank you. you so much for inviting me to this, and uh, this is me signing off. Thanks, Paul. Great thank to you, see Paul. You. Excellent to have you with us, as always. Good night. Share lunacy joining from Seoul. I had no idea where he was. People yeah, are coming. I had to get going too. Thank you, David. Well, I Thanks. want to know what Ken had, Randy. What's that? Ken had something. Ken oh, had Ken has it. Sure, let's get it in. Let's get it into the recording. Yes. Go ahead, Ken. And I mean, ran just then. <laughs> I, I too have to run, and but I do want to say that although internet governance is currently screwed for this plan of creating a safe space, it can be fixed. I think everything can be fixed. All it needs is people who are passionate enough, like yourself and. Matthew. And Matthew, who's de- de- definitely passionate about it. But it also needs a few trusted individuals that have BGPAS numbers, at the very least. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.